Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to my website, johnwarrenmedia.com. You can feel free to send along an email uh, using our contact form on the website, or don't hesitate to just email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. I do this intro every time because I'm aware of new listeners who come along and uh, have things to share, and I really appreciate your feedback. The episode that has been released this week is Pastor Charlie Parrish, this week being the week I'm recording this, so several weeks ago now, about five weeks ago, uh, Charlie Parrish on transgenderism. If you missed that episode, go back in our archives uh, from the website or, or Spotify or Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And listen to that one. It, he handles it uh, that topic so accurately, truthfully, but pastorally helpful. Our sponsor is CFS Financial. CFS Financial. You can find that uh, information about that company at uh, cfsfinancial.net or just go to my website, johnwarrenmedia.com and look for the CFS Financial or the Consulting tab. It is my company. We work with Christian schools and other nonprofits, parachurch ministries, uh, on all matters financial as a consulting firm. I don't like to say that consulting firm because that sounds like something we're not. We actually do real work with companies that are struggling with their debt or governance or strategic planning. Uh, We don't do a lot of operating consulting on how to save money and that kind of thing although we're happy to do that uh, as part of an assignment along the way. So if you know of a struggling Christian school or a parachurch ministry that is burdened with a lot of debt on their property, we are happy to come alongside them. And we do this work in a way that isn't costly. It's not designed to make money. It is designed to be a ministry to ministries, and I am thankful uh, for the opportunity. So today, I want to continue this thought. I I mentioned it uh, at the end of uh, the episode last week uh, on uh, cognitive dissonance. I mentioned this this idea of quorum deo, and and I know for those who are familiar with it, it's it's an often used uh, concept. Quorum deo uh, really uh, literally means the before the face of God, and and it 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 as a as a theological uh, construct, it is. It is really to to live life aware of God's presence, and I I find that that thought kind of interesting. It, it's one of those things that it's it's very important, very weighty, and I sometimes just blow right past these truths. And uh, you know, I'm not a pastor, and I I kind of don't speak in a pastorally helpful way sometimes. Um, and, and blow right past these important concepts. And today I want to just sort of marinate uh, us to just marinate uh, in, in this truth 
that God is is with us. We are living our lives before His face, in in front of Him. And I, I first heard heard this concept from R.C. Sproul. He used to talk about this a lot: uh, living life aware that we're living it before the face of God. It's it's not to live life before the face of God. We have no choice. That is that is happening. We often bifurcate. We often divide God's character and we say, okay, God is all knowing. He's, he's, he's um, um, omniscient and he's, he's omnipotent. He's all powerful and he's omnipresent and omnibenevolent and some other omnis, but, but, but he, he is everywhere at once. And yet we don't really grasp that concept. In fact, we live like Adam and Eve did as if, you know, we have that knowledge, but, what I was trying to get across in the cognitive dissonance episode is, is that we, we choose not to think about the logical end of that knowledge. Well, there's some important theological truth that, that just comes up all the time, some underpinning. And if, if we all went to seminary, one of the things we would learn if it was a good seminary is the beginning of knowledge of theological knowledge has to do with answering some questions that are very important. You, you, you hear them sort of referenced, not very well, but referenced in the introduction in the, in the announcer introduction to this podcast, he says something like this podcast seeks to answer uh, who is God, who is man and how do they relate to each other? Well, the it's, it's not really how they relate to each other. It's how God relates to man. There's, there's some doctrines that are just critical to understanding. They will, they will give you peace, and I, and I want to talk about them today. They, they, are, they are difficult, challenging doctrines to understand. They're, they are counterintuitive because they contain apparent contradictions. And, and I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example of one of them, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference Scripture in a few minutes to, to talk about this this notion of quorum Deo and what it really means. But, but before we do that, one of the concepts that two concepts that you'll, you'll hear that sound mutually exclusive is that God is transcendent and eminent. Eminent is spelled I M M A N E N T or God's eminence. I M M A N E N C E. And, and, God's eminence means that he is he's knowable. He's with us. He's he's a relational God. Um, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is he is God's righteousness. And God is love. So so this this relatable God in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit um, is is eminent, is with us, is close to us, near to us, um, has experienced the the things that we experience, loves us, is gracious to us, is merciful toward us, is is relatable, knows us inside and out, and desires relationship with us, not to meet an unmet need. God has no unmet needs, but He chooses. To, to be relational, a relational God, God with us, Emmanuel. So th- this is an important, the eminence of God 
is an important concept. The other one that seems seems to be at the other end of the pole, and it, and it seems impossible for these two things to be true at once, but we believe them to be true nonetheless, is God's transcendence. That is, God being apart from us, outside of us, untouchable by us, apart from us. His, his holiness is, is, is his, not, not just his righteousness. I don't want to get into hair splitting here, but it's, it's his being set apart, separated. He's separated because he is righteous, but he's separated through his power, through his might, through his strength, through his character. I, I want to take many episodes on this podcast to talk about God's character, but I'm, but I'm not just going to do you know a 20-week series on the character of God. I'm going to weave it into, all. I hope, all of these other topics all the time. So we have God's eminence, and and his transcendence and and both are true it, it seems impossible that that he could be set apart separate from us much more powerful and also relational knowable perceivable graspable if that's a word and uh, relational with us in his eminence and and both are true even in the person of jesus christ so we don't have to get all wrapped around our axle over the pers- the three persons of the Trinity. It's important to talk about that, but we don't get eminence through one person of the Trinity, transcendence through that. No, all are fully God. And, and, and so uh, absolutely, truly, fully God, all three persons of the Trinity. So God is both transcendent and eminent. And that has important implications for us. You might be familiar with a passage in Numbers, and I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that when I turn to these passages in my the paper copy of my Bible, I use Blue Letter Bible and Bible Gateway. I use their electronic uh, versions, but I, I have a, a paper version bound by leather of the English Standard Translation, uh, which I really like. And I, I, when I turn to these pages in Numbers, or, or lots of Old Testament passages, unfortunately, with maybe Psalms and Proverbs being an exception, um, the pages are awfully clean and white and, and uh, sort of crisp and hard to turn. Um, and that means I don't spend a lot of time on these passages. But a familiar one is, is the blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6, verses I'm going to start with 22 and read through 26. Here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and here's the familiar part in 24 to 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then verse 27, just to close the chapter, says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This this passage is one of many that is a reference to Coram Deo, living life before the face of God. And this priestly blessing that God gave to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, it, it says this, The Lord bless you, and keep you. 
the Lord bless you and keep you. If you're if you go to a more formal church that does a benediction, then then you might be uh, familiar with this. It, it's 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 really expanding God's action to bless His people. This make His face to shine upon you pictures God's movement toward His people in goodness. God's giving us his grace or his favor to be gracious to us. He says that. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. To be present with you, he's saying, and to be gracious, to show you favor that you don't deserve and be gracious to you. What a, what a wonderful blessing. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is describing imminence, this this characteristic of of God, this God being with us. I, I, I don't really fully understand this notion of lifting up the light of his countenance, lifting up his countenance rather. Um but but you get the idea. The idea is one of eminence, of being, of being with us, of, of, of being, uh, I think some translations talk about uh, uh, letting your light shine upon me. It, there's a closeness. There's an imminent relationship, a warm closeness that is communicated here. Upon you, it says in verse 26, Lord, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. You know, peace is something we don't talk about a lot. I grew up kind of at the end of the hippie era. I went to high school in the late seventies, and there, there, you know, there there was the the peace sign and peace medallions and peace tie dye shirts and patches on jeans that said had the peace sign or. Or, or there's an expression uh, uh, people would say peace out uh, yeah, that that came back actually a few years ago some a lot of people say peace out even today i'm not quite sure what that means but i guess it's some kind of goodwill expression but but this notion of real peace peace from god peace with god reconciliation with god reminds me of the word propitiation <laughs> And and you know I've I've talked I, I chuckled because I've talked about this before, and, and it's it it amazes me how all of these concepts are are connected, these these central themes of of scripture. Um, it's it's funny. I was reading just today in in Hebrews two, and I guess I hadn't missed this before, but. Hebrews is a powerful book of the Bible, and we'll we'll talk more about that in a, in a in a minute. But um, he, the author of Hebrews is unknown to us. I, I think it might have been Luke. Uh, some people think it was Paul, but it's it's just a, written a little differently than his style. But I guess you don't. We don't know. I'm not dogmatic. I can't be dogmatic about this. But he, the author, uh, says in verse 17 of chapter two. Therefore he had to make therefore he had to be made like his brothers. He's talking about Jesus Christ. 
in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is this idea of God's imminence in the person of Jesus Christ and his propitiation. He's, he, he is appeasing or expiating the wrath of God. And the, and the word that is translated there, propitiation, in, in, the, in the Septuagint, it is the same word for the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the lid, the covering, the gold, golden lid covering the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was from animal sacrifices was sprinkled every year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. It's this idea of not, not just reconciling us to God, but appeasing God's wrath, satisfying God's wrath. It's not making God acceptable to us. It makes us acceptable to God. It's, it's, it's about the, the, this, this notion of imputation is, is about not about our being infused with God the way some religious groups like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and even, well, others, uh, teach. It's not this becoming God, partaking in his character. It is our record. It is a reckoning. It's an accounting term, a legal term for, for considering or reckoning God. God treats us as if we're righteous. Our record is expunged, is cleared. And it's not like a U.S. court would expunge where it kind of still stays out there so that the federal government is aware. It, it, it's, a, it's a cleaning of the record as if it didn't happen. He treats us, he sees us then through the righteousness of Christ. And I want to be really careful about the, the language I, I use there. But this, this notion of, of propitiation, this is accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is God's eminence, God being with us, relational with us, caring about us, extending his grace to us. What, what, a, what a beautiful, beautiful concept this is. And this word propitiation, this reckoning, this considering us, our sin expunged. In other words, God, God's wrath appeased and our record cleared is just amazing. But this concept of, of Coram Deo, this, that, that, that God is with us, is, is one I, I want to just explore a bit further. This, this awareness, if we, if we live life Coram Deo, before the face of God, realizing that every moment we are living before the face of God, I, I don't know about you, but I get this ominous feeling, this deep, this wow, whoa, God sees me, knows my thoughts, knows where I am, knows what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, and knows all of my sin. And I forget to think about propitiation. So if I'm really living life before the face of God, I am aware that he sees me 
in Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. But so it's not just a God is big brother, like all these traffic cameras on cameras everywhere, watching all of us all the time or the or or the the intelligence agencies that store data and all the rest. No, no, no. God, God is much more powerful than, than the NSA or the FBI or the CIA. Um, he, and, and, and much more loving, thankfully, and much more gracious, but, but this, this living life before the face of God, I want, I want to talk about that. I want to, I, yeah, I, I don't want to just have an academic discussion of Coram Deo and, and this, these principles of transcendence and eminence and all the rest. And even this word propitiation. I want to talk about, okay, what does that mean to us? What does it mean? How do we, how do you do that? You know, I, I get so annoyed with Christian books, these little self-help books that you kind of read a couple of chapters and you got the whole thing. And then the author just repeats himself and drones on about nothing and, and, and might have some helpful something in there um, in, in the beginning, but it just goes on and on and, and, and it almost sounds like, you know, a self-help book where, you know, a Zig Ziglar kind of thing where, you know, read this and practice these things or, or Steve Covey and, and, and successful people do these things. So you go do these things and you'll be successful. Well, that, that's really not how this works, but there are some very practical things that I think we can do to live life Coram Deo before the face of God, to to honor that biblical principle, to be aware, you know, most of the time, I say this to my shame, I am not aware of living life Coram Deo. I live life before the face of John, you know, I, through, through my eyes, my own selfish way. Uh, well, I want to worry about this and fret about that. And, and I've got to plan this and think about that. And, oh, that person might be up to something. And, that that didn't sound quite right, and I wonder what that meant. And and I got to figure out this email, and I got to be sure all these people like me. And I, I and there's nothing wrong with some of those things. And in business, it's necessary, even in my teaching work and and all, some other things I do, running my company. You know, I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to think critically and plan and all of that. But these aren't mutually exclusive concepts. But I want to live my life before the face of God. And I don't, I've mocked this notion of people who say, well, I just practice presence, you know, and I, I it, but, but, but they, they, if, if they mean what I hope they mean, they're kind of onto something. And that is being present, meaning thinking about the fact that I'm living life before the face of God. God designed this world. He's given us his word. And if we truly know him, not just know who he is academically, but truly know him and, and, and experience his transcendence and his eminence, a relationship with him, then, then that looks a little different and that equips me to live life quorum Deo. So I, 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 I know I reference Psalm 51 a lot, but it's a beautiful Psalm. If you're not familiar with the Psalms, I, I mean, you, you can go to, you know, Psalm 119, you can go to, to a bunch of Psalms that are, I mean, I, I don't have a favorite, but David's repentance in Psalm 51, I, I referenced it at the end of the cognitive dissonance um, episode last week, just, just very briefly. And I think I read through God's 
character that is revealed in in Psalm fifty one. And I'm 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 not really going to read it all, but I'll I'll just read the the beginning words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. That, ladies and gentlemen, is repentance. David has is repenting from his sexual relationship with Bathsheba. And and to do this, though, and the point I want to make today, and he, and he goes on, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he goes on. And I could read the whole thing. It's all applicable here. I'd encourage you to read it. Psalm 51. But, but to, to write these words, the, the point I want to make today is David had to know God. And so I just want to challenge us with this. Be able to, to live life quorum Deo. We, we, that, that's not just a feeling. It's not just awareness. It's not just blinking a couple of times to make sure you're wide awake. It, it's, it's not just an orientation. It's not just... Uh, bringing my thoughts into captivity, although that's part of it. But but we have to know God and his character. We have to know about God intellectually. We have to know who God is, or else we're no better off than the Romans were worshiping false gods. I often mock them in my head and think about the fact that, wait a minute, they have a hundred over a hundred graven images. They worship these false gods. Um, among them, the God of fertility. Um, um, they, they, they had a God for everything. And, and, and they, were, they were pagan and, and worshiped these false gods. And then I think, well, wait a minute. I did that for years thinking I'm worshiping the true living God because I hadn't really studied scripture. I, had, I worshiped a caricature of the true God and it is essential that I know who God is, God's character. So how do you do that? What is it that we can do that, that will allow us to know, know God? I'm convinced that men do this rather poorly. Women are better at this than men, but all humans, all Christians struggle with this. And I, I want to be very plain and, and tell you, plain spoken and tell you that I too have struggled with this. I struggle less with this today than I did 20 years ago. It is purely by God's grace that I say that because I am subject to getting distracted just like everyone else. But here it is to know God, to have a relationship with him, to experience his imminence and even to understand his transcendence to accurately understand God so that we're not worshiping a caricature of the true living God. We, we must study his word. That doesn't mean read it on a perfunctory basis. It doesn't mean go through the motions. It doesn't mean listen to praise songs on the way to work. It doesn't mean read a verse. It doesn't mean pull a card out of the our daily bread, although... Some of those things are fine to do. It means I have to study God's word daily. And I have to do it early in the morning. I have to set aside time 
it's inconvenient sometimes relative to, and that's, that's terrible for me to say out loud, relative to all the things I want to accomplish in a day. It's hard to park it in neutral and, and focus on God's word some, on some days. But it is just absolutely essential if I'm going to live life quorum Deo for me to know who God is, for me to understand God's character. And the only way to do that is through his word. If you like sermons from pastors who are good pastors, who, who rightly divide the word of truth, who, who, who study God's word, that great supplemental material. If you like commentaries that, that will help unlock some of the mystery, and if you're sure that the commentator is solid, then that is a wonderful supplemental exercise. But there is nothing like studying the history of the book that you're reading in the the book of the Bible, reading that book of the Bible and praying and asking God to show you his truth, his character, and to not allow you, not allow us to worship or think about even as we try to live life quorum Deo, a caricature of the true living God as explained in scripture. There's a concept in Presbyterianism called God's means of grace. It's actually a reformed concept that transcends uh, Presbyterianism. But, but I don't want to get all hung up on the, the language here, but this, this notion of, of Scripture being one of his means of grace and, and, and prayer, another one, is really important to understand. It is, it is God's means of communicating his grace and truth with us. It, it, do we do we get it all perfectly? Can, can we trace every word? Can we be sure that the full impact of everything we read is being absorbed? Nope, we'll never get there. If you've read scripture and studied it, you know you can go through it again and again and again and see new truth from time to time. So prayer and Bible reading go together and it is critical that we do it. There's no substitute. And you say, oh, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see, I don't see where it says I must do that. Well, by inference, it's all over scripture. If you, if you look at the authors of the epistles in the New Testament, for example, uh, look, at the, look at the imperatives in Psalms and Proverbs and, and, and look at this, this, this notion of committing our way to the Lord. We must know God to do that. And we must accurately know God to do that. So my advice, and I, I did a graduation talk for a, for a little school group it was a good sized group and i mentioned it on this podcast a few weeks ago i did i did the talk back in early may and and i i talked about this to the graduates and i i don't know how well received that was they they seemed to be happy with me but um it sounds so unprofound to say the key to life is reading god's word and praying every day well well it just is and 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 God will give us understanding. God is not interested in our being deceived. Evil is, Satan is, the great deceiver. But we have, when we come under God's word and subject ourselves to it, we're doing exactly what God intends. We, we can't read scripture and say, oh, look at that. I don't like the way God did that. We have to say, Lord, show me how I'm to understand this. This is hard. This is challenging. This is complicated. But I want to understand propitiation. You use the word. So 
I want to give you just just a few practical things. If you say, oh, I get so bored or I, I don't really understand it all, that that's just fine. Or I started once reading from Genesis 1-1 and I got tired. I made it through numbers and then I quit. Well, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a different approach. And, and there are many, um, but it, it's no surprise to those of you who know me that I'm going to encourage you to read the book of Romans. It is Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. I did a study on it, an overview study in my church, and I've done a, you know several podcast episodes walking through this epistle. So I don't want to give you the whole history, but I'm going to tell you this. Of all the books in the New Testament, there was more pressure on the author to write a compendium, a full um, summary of all theology. There was more pressure on Paul at this time of his life to do so for the church at Rome than any other person in writing in the New Testament in, or Old Testament, in my opinion. And, and, and the reason for that is Paul was attacked throughout his ministry by the Judaizers, those people who didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and, and they, they constantly opposed him physically. It's not, you know, uh, ghosting or gaslighting, as we would say today, or, you know, blocking somebody on social media or no, no, no. It was, it was opposing violently. He, he was, he was aggressively violently opposed and he felt that his life would be threatened on his third missionary journey. He was about to embark on and he wrote it from Corinth and, and, and in Galatia and Corinth, he had been aggressively opposed. He loved the church at Rome. He knew about it. It was the center of the civilized world, Rome was. And so he wanted to write to be sure that they understood truth and understood it clearly. He addressed all the pitfalls. He addresses who is man, who is God, how God relates to man in detail. He toggles back and forth between Jews and Gentiles, and that can be a little confusing. But go back and listen to the podcast for those episodes if you if you decide to read Romans for the first time or to read it, you know, systematically. And you can you can probably read a a, a chapter a day. Um that that's probably not a bad way to do it. And if you get confused or you want more information or you want to just talk about it, send me an email. We'll talk about it. I'd 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 be honored. I I've studied and studied and studied and taught and taught and taught this. Epistle. The rest of the Bible is important too, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But make your way through Romans. You'll be amazed at the beauty. Then, secondly, the Gospel of John is interesting. It it records the life of Jesus Christ, and it can also be very helpful. And thirdly, the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It, it puts all of this in historical perspective and I think could be helpful. And then you might be ready after studying those three books of the Bible, you might be ready to read the New Testament starting at Matthew and just plow right through. The gospels are beautiful because they record the life of Jesus from different perspectives. You'll feel like, oh, I've read this before, but but it'll have a little bit of a different perspective. The Sermon on the Mount, for example, is recorded in three of the gospels. And so I would encourage you, though, set aside time, make it a priority, and pray asking God to help you help us live life quorum Deo before his face, aware that we are living life 
before the presence of God. Making God, making Jesus Christ and our relationship with him the center of everything that we do. If you just try to attack it from a self-help standpoint and read a few self-help help books and, and sing some praise songs, you know, you're, you're not going to get there. You're going to get frustrated. If you try listening to a pastor and making a list of do's and don'ts, that, that's fine to do, but you're going to get frustrated. But if we look for the beauty of who God really is, the, the, an accurate summary of who man is, and, and we get to the place where we understand how God relates to man in the person of Jesus Christ, then we begin to see what living life quorum Deo is really all about. There's a lot of scripture that I could have read today to, to kind of support this. this, this notion of walking by faith. You'll see it in Romans. When you get to about halfway through chapter three, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of be depressed through the first couple of chapters because, I mean, there's some beauty there too, but he talks about man and man's sin and self-reliance and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And no one seeks after God. And you start to think, oh my goodness. And then, and then he transitions. But now, and, and he talks about the grace of God having been revealed uh, through faith that we are declared righteous by faith. There will be a tremendous burden lifted. That peace of God that we read about earlier in this episode, you, you will experience as you recognize what Christ has done and, and who we are by faith in him as we put our trust in him. Those beautiful promises will I, they, they, they will sustain you, sustain us. Um, Paul, we get to Romans 8, and he talks about nothing separating us from love of God. I mean, we could just do this all day where I just talk about key passages that just explain not only who God is and who we are, but how God deals with us. His eminence and transcendence work together beautifully. No, they're not. They look like they're contradictory, but they're not. They work together amazingly beautifully. And, and I, I'm just scratching the surface. I am just, and, and after study years and years of study, I, I, I have not attained all of the information and the closest relationship I could possibly have in Christ. I am still growing and learning and benefiting from practicing the things I'm advocating today. So that is living life quorum Deo. That is a quick summary. It is woefully inadequate, but kind of the best we can do for this format. I hope it is encouraging to you if this prompts questions or concerns. I, I would just suggest this. Encourage your spouse, your kids, your parents, your grandparents, everyone around you to read God's word and pray daily, to set aside time. And don't write me and ask me what the right amount of time is. I, I don't want to give you an amount of time. As much as possible would be my answer. Do you have to just do it once in the beginning of the day? No. Take some, take some of your lunch time and read some more. Or evening time as a family. Or supplement with 
good pastors and good sermons and songs. All those things are great. But my point today is you can't really replace the study of God's word. It's not just the the mundane reading just to say I read it, but the study, the mining of God's word uh, and and you'll you'll find that it's it's beautiful and life changing, and will cause us to live life quorum deo before the face of God, aware that we're living life before the face of God. Everyone on this earth is living life quorum deo, just not aware of it. The crook, the criminal, the recidivist criminal, the the cannibal in the jungle, uh, and and everyone you can think of. <laughs> No matter how scandalous their life is, they are living life before the face of God, but unaware of it. What we're talking about is being aware of it, living life before the face of God, directed by him, in harmony with him, in relationship with him. You won't ever, we won't ever do it perfectly, but I hope these truths, I hope this this how-to uh, has been helpful to you. Don't hesitate to send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com or send along a comment on our contact form on our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. Don't forget our sponsor, CFS Financial. If we can help your company, your parachurch ministry or Christian school, don't hesitate to reach out. It would be an honor to serve you. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.